It's hard to believe it, but the Missouri General Assembly's veto session is right around the corner. And Senator Paul Whelan has a good idea on what will transpire. The Jefferson County Republican joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. I say, hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our studios in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And the winner of the 2014 Battle for Jeffco, we have (laughs) as our special guest today... Senator Paul Whelan. I I mentioned that because the last time we had you on was 2014 when you you were running in the hashtag Battle for Jeffco. Yep, right. You you vanquished Jeff Rorta by a pretty substantial margin. He's still on cable news a lot and saying a bunch of crazy things. I'm sure that you see that and are just like... So his life is fine. His life is fine. He's busy. Yeah, sure. And you're legislating. You get to be a state senator. Yep. yep. So both both of you guys won that race. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, everybody wins. So um, for for our listeners, uh, Senator Whelan represents, I think, about half of Jefferson County, the northern and central part, basically. Yeah, about two-thirds of the population. Two-thirds of the population. And maybe about half of the geographic ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fast-growing county full of, I would say, working-class folks and, and I would say, suburbanites as well. Right. Yep. And um, we're going to talk about a bunch of different issues today. Yes. Veto session is coming up. Uh, the whole question about how labor issues will affect the 2017 session. And, and maybe a little bit of Trump action as and well. And your successful court fight. Yes. Yep. Yep. Let's okay. start with veto session because, believe it or not, Joe, that's only like two or three weeks away. <laughs> be still my heart. <laughs> so there, there are going to be a couple of things that I think are going to be pretty substantial. I think the one that comes to mind is a wide-ranging firearms bill that right. kind of explain either Joe or our Senate, our Senate guest can well, explain what that is. Go ahead and explain it, and then I'll jump in and okay. <laughs> add my two bits. Um, um, well, on the Senate bill, um, basically what my, my understanding is what it does is it um, makes the permit fees so they can't be more than $100. Um, it extends the Castle Doctrine, and it also allows for lifetime permits for like $500. It tightens up what can be disseminated, and there's some discussion, too, that it kind of opens up um, – uh, where you can carry concealed without having a permit. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, it so does. It allows yeah. allows you to carry concealed right. weapons without a permit. Now, there's also a provision that it's been controversial that has stand your ground contr- yes. provision. Yes. Okay. And that's on there too. Yeah. Which, okay, depending on the interpretation of it, uh, the critics say that it basically legalizes murder because a person walking down the street does not have to feel threatened. I mean, or I mean, the other person doesn't have to do something that they consider threatening. They can just say oh, that person's threatened and threatening me, even if they're not doing anything, just walking by and shoot them. Now, that's what the critics say. That, that, I know that, the... that's, that's probably the heavy detractors interpretation right. of that. I would just want to make sure. But continue. Right, sure. OK. <laughs> and uh, you now you've had some legal scholars who've weighed in saying, yeah, that's what it does say. But. Some of the supporters say, well, there's other provisions in state law that would guard against excessive use of it. But this is one of the reasons the governor, uh, one of the reasons that he vetoed the bill. Uh, I'm just interested in your, well, we're both interested in, 
Uh, I know there's been a lot of lobbying. I've heard that some sheriffs have privately come out against this for various reasons having to do with the permits. So can you talk about what you think is going to happen? Um, First, I'll tell you what kind of feedback I'm getting from my constituents. Um, Overwhelmingly, the number of emails and stuff coming into my office are in favor of doing the override. Okay. Okay. Now, I am getting a handful of people that are very passionately opposed to it. But when you look at the numbers, it's like maybe a 60, 70 to 1 ratio. Okay. I mean. um, 60 to 70 to 1. It's huge. I mean, there's. I can only count maybe five or six people that have contacted me saying, you know, this is a horrible idea. You need to stand with the governor. Mm -hmm. But we probably have 500 emails maybe already. I've heard some people say that charging money for a conceal and carry permit is kind of like taxing a constitutional amendment. Joe, that's been kind of the argument that you've heard, too. Is that what basically you're hearing from your constituents? Um, Yeah. I mean, that's a reason. Another thing is – I'm like myself personally. I mean, I I look at my situation right now is I am not getting along very well with my county sheriff. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to have a concealed carry, I got to get his blessing. Well, what if the county sheriff just doesn't like you? Then you can't get a concealed carry permit. You know, so I, I look at it like, why should we have to go to the county sheriff to get that permission? Um, and then the other thing is, like you said, you have then your name's on the list. You know, a lot of people are paranoid about that, especially with the history of what's happened with Missouri's concealed carry list. Um, and then, of course, the, the fees involved in it, too. Now, so. there are some who say, though, that this doesn't um, provide enough p- protections for victims of domestic violence as far as, like, stalkers or perpetrators will be able to walk around um, with this with these um, weapons. And uh, no one would know that they're that the person's armed you know if you're a victim of domestic violence and you're trying to stay away from your former husband or current husband or whatever and you don't know that he's armed because he didn't have to file for a concealed carry permit so the uh sheriff's office didn't have any record that he does have one uh what about that kind of, I mean, because I'm, I'm hearing some of that. Well, I, there again, you go back to, I guess, one of the things I look at, too, is are we making the laws for the criminals or are we making the laws for the people that don't do anything wrong? I mean, if you're a criminal and if you are in a domestic violence situation and you want to harm your spouse, are you going to say, oh, gee, I better not put that gun in my pocket because I'm going to get picked up for illegal concealed carry? It Okay. It's not going to happen. Okay, the criminals are going to be criminals no matter what. If you're going to be a guy, a bad guy, you're going to be a bad guy. Um, it's the guy that's not the bad guy that we're saying, okay, now you have to get a permit. you got to go through classes. you got to get your sheriff to, to bless it. Why do we put that guy through everything? The bad guys are going to be bad guys no matter what. I mean, I've talked to some police officers that and I've asked them, I said, are you concerned about it? And some of them that I've talked to have said, you know what, it doesn't really matter because if we pull over that car, we're assuming that that person is armed because, I mean, you don't – they don't pull over people going, well, I guess this is a good guy. You, They assume it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean – and then other – I mean, everybody has different opinions, but, I mean, that's some of the things that I've talked to people about. What about the training aspect? Because I think that when Conceal and Carry was passed and, – and, granted, I think I was in college then, so I didn't pay and attention to it. And then the age it. was lowered. Then the age was lowered. Some people would argue that – the training aspect may be useful because it's a huge responsibility to be carrying a firearm and concealing it. That type of thing may make people use a gun more safely. How, what would you have to say to that? 
I, I think the training on anything is a good thing. I don't think it should be mandatory just because it's a gun. Let's say that I carry a hunting knife with me. Do I need to get training to handle that hunting knife? You know, I don't know. I mean, where do you stop and say, okay, everybody's got to be trained to do everything? A knife and a fork? Do we have to train people before they eat to let them loose at dinner time? Because there are people that have cut their fingers, you know, and stuck a fork in their tongue. I mean, where do you say it gets ridiculous? You know what I mean? So I'm, I'd am i say I don't think the training is if you're a real responsible gun owner and you're going to be a person who's going to carry a concealed weapon around a lot, you're going to say to yourself, hey, you know, I maybe need to make sure I know what I'm doing. But if you're just a person who, for some reason, is like, okay, I'm going to run downtown and I don't feel safe where I got to go to this place, you know, why should you have to go through all those classes? I don't know. Now, w- w- do you think that this bill has a good chance of being overridden in, in the Senate? Where I you do. Were? Yes, yeah. I do. And, I think so. And yeah. I, I would imagine that it, since the House has, what, 115, 114 Republicans, I, I, don't, I know there's been a couple of resignations. Right. But they, it's still yeah. a veto-proof majority there. And, I yeah. can't. and the, the, the House, first... the support has been actually broader. It was yeah. They had 114 in the house and 12 people were absent. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, they're looking at yeah. Th- this seems like almost a slam dunk as far as being overridden from the numbers, but we we, we we're never sure because right, right. Session because could, you, you never, never know. know in the Senate because there could be well, a filibuster. You you never know. I mean, I yeah, I don't have any idea. I mean, I I know how I'm voting. Uh, as far as the other 23 senators, I don't know. And I take no. it you're voting yes. I will be voting for the override. Yes. Now, there are going to be a couple other things. Maybe the voter, the the photo ID is going to be up there. Implementation right. bill, which is separate from the authorization the, right. that's on mm-hmm. the ballot. So that probably is going to depend, not probably, it will depend on if that constitutional amendment passes. For right. some reason, it fails. This implementation bill is like automatically unconstitutional. Correct. So. Right. The stakes are pretty high there, I would think. What's kind of your, your feeling on, on that particular legislation as far as it being overwritten? There again, I would think it would be overwritten. Yeah. I mean, I think the votes were there in the, the first time around. I think the votes would be there again. Yeah. Now, so. some have said that this version of the implementation bill is actually um, more acceptable to some Democrats than some of the previous ones that the governors vetoed because uh, there are yeah. some provisions, more provisions about – letting people vote who don't show up with right. proper ID. And I, I think you need to credit Senator Krauss with with working with Democrats on that because we, we did avoid a filibuster on that particular issue, and he worked with them to get everybody to say, okay, even though we don't like it, we're not going to filibuster. I was so, shocked. Honestly, um, I was shocked that that bill didn't get filibustered because I've been following that issue since I started reporting professionally. Joe, I'm sure you've been doing the same. Uh, as far as the timeline goes, and I thought for sure they would filibuster it. Yeah, yeah. but there were some but, provisions in there, and I'd been well, hearing privately from some Democrats that they were like, well, we can probably live with this, you know. But And, and see, that's a good thing about the Senate is that we're, we're in such – it seems like to me that we're in a time to where there is such a um, – the right is so far to the right and the left is so far to the left. But there is still a path that we can – pass legislation without filibusters and PQs mm-hmm. if we work hard at it and we take the other person's, you know, what their interest is and say, okay, what do you need for us to be able to move my ideal forward? Now, I, I so it was encouraging to me that we got that done. Without yeah, but I think the gun bill definitely there will be an attempted filibuster. I, I think so, too. I mean, I can... Now, I would expect it. I'm not sure how familiar you are with this particular situation in St. Louis, but there has been a controversy about absentee balloting and 
they're they've released information of ba- absentee ballots um, in this particular race, like the applications. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really causing some people to wonder, A, is the legislature going to maybe pass a law closing that type of record or, or B, whether they're going to maybe expand the use of absentee ballots, because I think that the the source of contention here is the the proponents of Bruce Franks, who's challenging Penny Hubbard's reelection, feel that some people voted absentee when they shouldn't have. Yeah. Now, now the the controversy and in fact, some of the stuff that reporters are able to look at some of the stuff this this morning is that you were able to look at the envelopes and you were able to see. Uh, parts of the Social Security number. You were also able to see, you know, the identification, but then you're also able to know who took, in this case, who took Democratic ballots. So uh, I've had some lawyers say, you know, what this opens it up is that people will then be able to find out whether you take a Republican or a Democratic ballot in the primary, which has been something that's been... Secret for a long time. Well... From the beginning, I mean, that's been like, so, like well, part of the country. Yeah, and I wanted to ask okay. you about this because you are on the elections committee. Yeah. What is kind of your take on this? Because I think that there could be implications going forward yeah. for elections from this case. I, I think there's a couple things that I've just, by, this is all kind of, I'm not really up on it, but I can give you my impressions. Um, the first thing, when you talk about, I don't think there should be a recorded list saying you took a Republican ballot, I took a Democrat ballot. But I, there are challengers in the polls. And when I go to vote, and they they'll give my ID, which we do down Jefferson County, even though we don't have the law to do that. Okay, then they say, okay, would you like a Republican or Democratic ballot? And they don't whisper that in my ear. They ask me that, and I say, give me a Republican ballot, and everybody can hear that. And the challengers behind the judges can mark off Paul well, Whelan took a by, Republican ballot. They're not supposed to be behind the judges. They're supposed to be at least like in the back of the room or something. No, they, the reason the reason for a challenger okay. there is so that they can record that you showed up to vote. So that we stop calling your house. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. But, so, but, but they have what, to know that you're the voter. Yeah, but but when I had done stories on this previously, the challengers were required to be a certain number of feet away. But they're still within earshot because they have to hear your name. They can't ask the the voter comes in. They can't say, "Give us your ID before, or tell us who you are before you go talk to the judges." They they're right there by the judges, so they can hear when the judges say who your name is. Okay. Well, I, they may do that okay. in Jefferson County, but, but frankly, okay. they probably. Could, so, but, can, could be but, but, that, but that does open up a question. Should they be able to do that or not? Right, I mean, that's right. A and just so okay. our listeners understand, challengers are people from each party that can be posted inside a polling place during a primary. Now, not all polling places will have challengers. It kind of depends what the parties are looking for, how hotly contested something is. And so... Technically, what a challenger could do is, let's say if Whelan uh, walked up and tried to take a Democratic ballot because he wanted to vote on something that was a Democratic fight, somebody could say, wait a minute, he's a Republican. He's a Republican legislator. He can't be taking a Democratic ballot. I mean, although technically you There's can. There's nothing to stop me. There's right. nothing right. to stop you, right. but they can finger you okay. for that. Right. But yeah. going okay. back to the original but, series so, of questions, because okay. I think that there could We're be some... Getting, yeah. I, okay. I really want to hear so, your take on this particular I think situation. That, I think it alarms me that you said that you know they can find out Social Security numbers. Okay, That alarms me. That should I, I don't think should be revealed. Um, I think who voted absentee is, is currently 
I mean, you can go to the county clerk's office and go, I want to know everybody that voted absentee two, two years ago. Right. And they'll give you a list. They right, won't tell you how they, they voted, but they tell you yeah, but that they, they give you a list. They won't tell you if they took a Republican or No, they will not tell ballot. you that. That's right. Right. And also, so. now, the Secretary of State's office has raised concerns because absentee ballots, okay, there are some people who are in, like, witness protection programs who okay. get absentee ballots, and apparently that would be shown on these, I mean, as far as their location, so there's been some alarm bells yeah. raised in the last day or two about that. I think that. this is the reason I'm bringing this up. I think that beyond what Joe and the senator has said, I think that there are people on all sides of the political spectrum that fear that if somebody can get your application that has the address of where you are, people, and there's a disputed election, you could have lawyers going to people's house asking them why they voted absentee a certain way, and it amounts to voter intimidation. I've heard that quite a bit in this situation. Or whether or not they actually qualified, qualified. with the provisions for voting absentee. So do, hmm. do you have those same concerns? Yeah, you know, I, there are some concerns that I have. Like I said, mine are more with the Social Security number thing, and if they can identify after the fact if you voted Republican or Democrat. I mean, that to me is then every everyone will be asking for all these records so they right. can create their list. And Correct. I think you're creating a lot more work for the clerks, and, and I think it just it creates a nightmare. So do you think— um, so you, I think there's something that we're going to need to look at, and there probably is going to be some kind of legislative um, attempt to fix some of these problems. Yeah, and just so, as I mentioned before, the reason I'm asking you is you are on a Senate committee that deals with right. elections, right. so this yeah. is not completely right. out of left field. So right. let's kind of move on to something that will be pertinent in the 2017 session, which will be right. labor issues. Now, um, the last time we had you on, uh, you told us that you were opposed to right to work. And you also told us you were opposed to so-called paycheck protection, which, Joe, could you kind of explain that a little bit further? Okay. Now, paycheck protection, which is, I mean, it depends on who you talk to, whether what, what it is. But the, but the bottom line is, is that it, it requires, and, and this only pertained to certain public employee groups, they were required to authorize annually whether or not they wanted automatic deduction of from their pay for the union dues or fees that they were paying. And this particularly applied to teachers and some of the others. There was exemptions for police and fire groups in certain areas, which were raising some legal issues. But that's that's the guts of it. It's a little different than right to work, which would bar any sort of requirement that uh, people in a bargaining union unit pay union dues or fees if a majority have voted to form a bargaining unit. Okay, thank you for that backdrop. I was honestly a little surprised that you voted to override paycheck protection because you had told us in the previous show that you were opposed to you it. Mean paycheck right. pre- the, the veto, you the mean? Veto. The veto, right. Yes. Well, can you kind of explain your vote on that? Sure, okay. Um, during the regular session, I voted against it. Right. Right. Okay. So um, there's two times you when you vote on something during session, I consider that a policy decision vote. You're saying, is this good policy for the state of Missouri? Yes or no. Now, when you go into veto session, it kind of changes. The, the policy has been decided by the legislature. Now the question is more, is the executive branch correct or is the legislative branch correct? Okay. So in this case, I said, well, the, obviously a majority of the legislature – thinks that this is a good bill, and which really, I, and it wasn't that strong of a bill, I guess you could say. Um, the people that it affected the most were organizations that don't even bother coming to talk to me. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I try to be friendly with labor, and I have a lot of people that are 
friends of mine in labor, and we try to work on things together. Um, but some of these groups, like, for example, it really affected the NEA, the MSTA, mm-hmm. yes. SEIU. Um, these people don't even bother saying hello to me if I walk down the hallway. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, I want to vote for what the legislature decided was right. I think they're, they trump the executive branch. And I'm not really hurting people that are friends of mine. Yeah. And you, I, you know what I'm saying? I, I want to be, be completely candid here. I think that labor may have severely miscalculated in 2014 when they went all in for your opponent, Jeff Rorta, and basically gave you the idea that you don't really need them to win an election because you won, and you don't really need to vote for any of their policies. Now, I guess I understand that there are people, individual people in Jefferson County that support or oppose these these bills, and you have to take that in consideration, but it's not like you got to the Senate because labor supported you. It's the exact opposite, basically. Right. You're right. It, 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 from a political standpoint, um, they hurt themselves not only by the fact that I won, but the other people that are running for state rep and county offices down in Jefferson County used to kind of fear labor as mm-hmm. this is the tiger you don't want to get mad. And now they're looking at them going, Psh. They lose half the races. Why, why do you care about them? So, I mean, by losing, you know, that they did kind of do themselves damage, yeah. So do you think, I know there's been, you know, a couple of primaries elsewhere, like I'm thinking particularly in St. Charles County, where labor weighed in. Some may question the tactics of the, the how they weighed in, but the bottom line is their candidates lost. Mm-hmm. Looking uh, as, as a Republican who has opposed right to work in the past, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you think— that's going to affect things in 2017. I think that um, right now in the Senate, what you look at, and we still have a seat or two up for grabs, okay? But right now the big change was what happened to St. Charles. Right. Where, um, you know, Senator Dempsey was anti-right to work, and he's been going to be replaced by a pro-right to work um, senator. So there's the one more vote that they need. Now, we've got other races going on too. We've got, um, you know, Jody and Sifton. If that the sifting comes back, and then the question goes to Columbia, you know who's going to win that race? But if the Columbia race goes Republican, and Jody wins, then it, I mean the votes are there. Mm-hmm. I don't see it being it's it's going to be probably in the first you know probably three or four weeks, right? The work will be done. Yeah, and by the way, uh, the, you know, the Columbia race he's referring to is the 19th senatorial district race between Democrat Stephen Weber and Republican Caleb Rowden. Right. Yeah. Now, do you expect? Okay, you're talking about the Sifton Jody race in the first district. Do you, I mean, which is, uh, for our listeners, uh, parts of South and Southwest uh, St. Louis County. The district right north of Jefferson County, yeah. Correct. Um, So do you expect Republicans to get pretty active in that on behalf of Jody? I mean, right now, Sifton has a large financial edge. But Republicans are giving Jody a lot of money. I know, I know. I would would say that that race is in play, yes. Um, And I think it's in play for a couple of reasons. I think... Um, that right now with, and now we're talking about the elections going back to like Trump. Trump is energizing a group of people in Jefferson County and I think in South St. Louis County that are going to be in play this year that haven't traditionally been in play. And that I think bodes well for Jody versus both bad for Sifton. Can I you ask why that is? Because I was joking before the show, I tweeted out maybe a year ago like, oh yeah, right. Donald Trump is going to make headway in Jefferson County when he's a thrice-married New York billionaire. But 
as I've been wrong a lot about the presidential race, he was wildly popular in Jefferson County. What is what is his appeal there? I think his appeal is he is very candid. He he's not a politically correct. I mean, people. I think I think the mood this year, the kind of the theme is. People are tired of everybody who measure every single word they say and run it through a think tank, and they have you know a focus group say, okay, here's what I can say, here's what I can't say. They want that sincere, genuine guy who's saying, hey, things aren't right, things aren't, things need to be changed in our country, and is not afraid to just say it how they feel. And I think that resonates a lot with the folks in Jefferson County and South St. Louis County. Um, they're just wanting that everyday, the guy that talks to them straight, and it's not all polished and you know. Um, massaged. Now, you've you've seen I'm sure the same statewide polls I've seen and I want to emphasize I'm not going to give specific results cuz I have uh, some concerns about the sample size As of these I. polls. I think yeah, they were too yeah, small. Yeah, I agree. But that said, there's been 3 of them that have shown the race between Trump and Clinton closer in Missouri than previous polls, so it would signal that there probably is some tightening. I'm not getting into the degree, but there probably is some. So the question is, though, the presidential contest, um, Republicans before, because I was in Cleveland, were hoping that a huge Trump edge in Missouri could help trickle down, help Republicans elsewhere on the ticket. If it's tighter, what do you think happens? Or, I mean, or do you think, now it's going to be, Trump's going to be a blowout, Trump blowout, Missouri. I'm interested in your take, what you're hearing. I, I think by the end of the day, when we get to election day, I would I would predict that Trump is probably going to carry Missouri by 10 to 12 points. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is I was reading, I get different publications, and I'm not going to name the publication, but sure. I got one the other day that said, um, you know, is this race over? Because the national media is more saying it's over, Hillary's won, you know. And they said, is the race over? Don't you believe it? Do you remember President Mondale? And it said, at this point in time, Mondale was 17 points ahead during that election cycle. So they said a lot changes after Labor Day. A lot changes as we get tired to it. So they're like, you can't believe all the polls and stuff you're hearing today, that things are going to change. I think um, I think that by the end of the day, when they, when the game is played, when everybody spends money and telling their opinions about this and that and who's who, um, and with the strength of the the under ticket here in the state of Missouri with Republicans, I think are a lot stronger than the Democrats as far as the money that's going to be spent and stuff. I think that it's going to drive Trump to that 10, 12 point margin. I do agree with you in the sense that right now in August is not necessarily a f- reflection of what the electorate will think about in October or November, because we have seen things change pretty dramatically. I mean, 2008, for example, the recession came in a huge wave, I think, in September and October. Correct. And that had, a, everything. that had a huge impact on why Barack Obama went. So I, I do agree with you there. We'll have to see if Trump says crazy things that torpedo his election, which is very possible. And, and we have to see if what comes out on, you know, these um, WikiLeaks people keep saying they got more stuff coming out on Hillary. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. The, I mean? Yeah. The, the only other question I have about right to work before sure. we move okay. on to another sure. topic. Um First of all, are you still opposed to right to work? In principle, yeah. Right now, I would say I'm still opposed to right to work. Um, I will tell you that it depends on the legislation. And I mean, I haven't I haven't seen a good right to work bill put that way, and I don't know if I will. But if the right legislation comes on, because like that paycheck protection bill, even though I voted against it during session, I was close to voting for it during session because it was so. It only affected a very small group of people, and all it did was say basically once a year you got to sign up and say yeah I want to keep things going. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't see that as being that 
terribly harmful. But and I, the other thing, I guess, about that one, just the other thing was it only dealt with public employees. It didn't, the private unions and stuff, it didn't affect. Yeah, and um, I, w- I would imagine, though, that whether it becomes ripe for discussion is going to depend on who the governor is. If Eric Greitens is the governor, I expect them to take that up right away. Right. And it doesn't matter what the margin is as long right. as they get one vote over right. In both chambers, and they use a previous question, which squelches a filibuster. It's game over. Whole different story of Coster as governor. That's my my understanding. I would yeah, I would agree. I think most of the labor reform issues are going to be about where they're at now. If Coster becomes governor, mm-hmm. if Greitens becomes governor, and the first 30, 45 days, they're all going to be done and over, and then they're going to be non-issue. Yeah. What I mean, are you so. What are you hearing about the governor's race in your neck of the woods? Not much. Really. I mean, um. I don't, I mean, when I'm, what I've been doing lately, I've been talking to a lot of local candidates and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now that we're through the primary, trying to get everyone back, I guess, on the same page and working together. Um, as far as on the governor's thing, I what I read in the papers and see on Twitter and Facebook, um, but I haven't really talked to either, I mean, I haven't talked to Greitens in Jefferson County. I, mean, I don't know if, I think I may have met him once, but I've never really talked to him. His staff person did call me earlier today, mm-hmm. and um, they're going to have some kind of a kickoff or a grand opening Saturday in yes. South County. And um, they called me and invited me to that. What do you think but, of um, him? I'm curious because there were some Repu- – obviously it was a divided primary between mm, right. four candidates. Everyone had their candidate, and three people lost. And But the, I have noticed that uh, there is kind of – an intense passion behind Greitens. People either really, really, really like him or they really, really, really don't like him. What's kind of your take? I'm probably not in either one of those camps, I'm, but I would say I'm, I'm maybe I'm a doubting Thomas. And what I say about that is when I got involved in politics, and this will dovetail well into if we want to talk about my lawsuit, yeah. um, my main issue for getting involved in, in um, politics was a moral one. I want people to respect life. I want to do mm-hmm. everything I can to preserve life from the moment of conception until natural death, which I'm kind of, that's another thing I'm kind of odd about. And the second thing that's most important to me is to preserve people's religious freedoms and their religious liberties. Those are my two passions, okay? So we have a candidate on my side of the aisle who won't talk to Missouri right to life and who's come out against Senate Bill or Senate Resolution 39. Mm-hmm. And I say to myself, okay, well, he's on our team and I'm not going to vote against them, but I can't get excited and put say I want to spend all my time, talent, and treasure helping this guy get elected because like yeah, you know yeah. Yeah, we you asked I mean? we asked Eric Greitens why he hadn't met with Missouri Right to Life because he says he's opposed to abortion rights. He says that he doesn't support embryonic stem cell research. And I'm, I'm again I'm going to be candid here. Missouri Right to Life supported some candidates that support embryonic stem cell research this year. Which I Kurt Schaefer supports embryonic stem cell research, and they endorsed him. You know, I'm sure Kurt Schaefer is going to call and yell at me, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, that shouldn't have right. been an issue. And I just don't understand why there was the hang up there. I, like I said, I'm a, I, I don't know why. I, I mean, it. people at this level don't do things for no reason. Okay, and I don't want to be like a conspiracy guy, but it's like if you refuse, I mean, I meet when I run for office, I meet with people that I know aren't going to like me because, you know what, we're going to have a discussion. And and then, you know, I can explain to you why I don't agree with you. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. but we're going to have that discussion. Um, But there's just something that's just not there. And 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 who's I mean, we're still a lot of time away. I mean, I mean, you know, phone may ring tomorrow. He may want to sit down and talk and we'll talk about things and maybe I'll come back with a totally different 
viewpoint. But right now, I mean, your question was where are we? I mean, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, I got plenty of, there's plenty of good people on the ticket that need help. I mean, um, Mike Parsons would be a great mm-hmm. lieutenant governor. Um, me and Mike serve together. I know where he's at on those issues. Um, Eric Schmidt would be a great treasurer. Um, of course, Roy Blunt, he's a stalwart as far as defending life and looking out for religious liberty. So, I mean, there are plenty of people out there that I can help that, you know, I'm just going to, that's where I'm going to spend my time. Okay. So now we're going to segue into the other big topic, but you okay. just were nice enough to. Okay. You're, you're an ex- <laughs> excellent segueer. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. okay. Was um, your lawsuit. Right. Now, uh, for our listeners, and tell me if I'm describing it correctly. Um, you had filed a lawsuit. Um, actually, this goes back, what, over a year? Three years. Three years, Three years. okay. Challenging the fact that the state uh, insurance that is provided to legislators, if they want it, or public employees, didn't allow an opt-out for coverage of contraception. Is that is that, am I correct? You're close. I mean... What, okay. What traditionally what had happened since 2000 was the state of Missouri allowed there to be a conscious opt-out for contraception right. and abortion event coverages. Okay. Okay. So Obamacare comes along and they say, no, these have to be included in the plan. Being a devout Catholic, we're opposed, my wife and I are opposed to contraception and abortion events. The abortion events are even more offensive to me than anything else. But the Obamacare mandate said we had to provide these coverages to our children until the age of 26. Okay. So, so as a parent, we were upset. I mean, go ahead. Okay. Now, you wouldn't have to use it, but it would be there. It would be part of the plan that we would have to pay for. Right. And so your point is, even though the insurance companies claim there's no additional cost, but in any case, out of, out of principle, you're saying, wait a minute, I don't want this in my insurance Period. Exactly. Because we've raised our kids in our faith, and we've told them our faith is something worth fighting for. And we talked about, me and my wife talked about this before we contacted lawyers and filed a lawsuit and said, if we just roll over and say, you know, we don't care about this issue, we're just going to go with the flow, um, we're setting a horrible example to our children that, you know, our faith, what we believe in our faith doesn't really matter. And we're like, that's not that's not what we want want them to see. We want them to see that our faith is worth fighting for. And it does I mean, in our conscience, we don't believe that we should be forced to provide those coverages. It's And I tried to explain this to somebody the other day. I said, what if it was like your cable TV or you have U-verse or AT&T or something, and they came out and the government came out and said, we mandate that you must purchase the pornography channels. And you say, well, I'm never going to watch them. But still, do you think it's right that they say, you must, you must, you must purchase them? And they say, well, I don't know if it would bother me or not. And I'm like, well, your money is going to prop up those pornographers. I said, I would have a problem with that. You know what I mean? So it's like the contraception thing, unless you're Catholic, you may say, well, what's the big deal? But if you look at it and pick it a pornography thing and say, if you subscribe to cable, you must purchase pornography, I think a whole lot of people would have a problem with it. Okay, so, uh, the but the bottom line is that is that you won with the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, correct? Okay, Eighth District. What we did, we yes. went to court and the district judge... So we didn't have standing. We went to court of appeals. Three Correct. judge panel came back and said, you do have standing. Sent it back to the district court. The district court about a month ago said, you're right. The government's wrong. You should be able to have a contraceptive-free plan. Now the government has 60 days to appeal. We're about halfway through that period of time. Okay. So now is it before the 8th uh, district again? We're waiting for the if the, gov- if the government doesn't appeal, then that that's a settled case. I have a feeling they're going to appeal. But when they appeal, they're going to appeal back through the 8th District Appellate Court. Right, right. So right. this was a district of the lower court that ruled in your favor. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. Then okay. They'll, they'll, and if the government appeals, they'll probably appeal to the appellate court. Right. Is this something that could go to the Supreme Court eventually? That's yes. when we originally started. We um, our lawyers and stuff had told us. They said this is going to probably take five or six years, and it's probably not going to stop till we get to the Supreme Court. Yeah. So it's it's kind of the same as Hobby Lobby was for businesses and Little Sisters of the Poor were for non for nonprofit organizations. Me and my wife are for the everyday person on the street. Right. So this is being closely watched by activists on both sides of the abortion and contraceptive issue. A lot of people are watching this. Can, can I just ask, like, who is paying for this lawsuit? Um, Thomas More Society out of Chicago. So no, you're not actually spending any money out of no, your pocket? No, we're not. No. Okay. And we, um, when we were, whenever the first, the, when this first started happening, we, me and my wife were upset and we're like, ah. Oh. And uh, we contacted some pro-life attorneys and they're like, you need to talk to this attorney. He specializes in these kind of cases. And so we talked to him. He goes, this is a great case with three daughters. You know, you're a great case. Will you do it? And we're like, I said, those daughters got to go to college. I ain't got no money. And he said, don't worry. There's groups out there that want to defend religious okay. freedoms and they will fund the case. So. so what do you, I mean, if you're in a nutshell, how do you characterize what happened to you in court and kind of where you, where you are now? I mean, and, and what, what? you think is the significance of your victory? I think the significance of the victory is it says that, um, and it can, it's kind of something that I think a lot of times the liberals like to say, people are more important than corporations and businesses. Well, you know, in this case, the people, me and my wife, the actual citizens, have just as much right to opt out as Hobby Lobby or Little Sisters of the Poor. So the significance is anybody who has an objection to saying, I don't want to have contraception and abortion coverage in my plan can stand up and say, hey, I don't want to do that. So we've set an example that other people can use the site as a case in their court or in their, in their court cases. Um, and the reality, what I see is going to happen is if the government doesn't appeal in 60 days, then the Missouri Consolidated Plan will have to come up with an opt-out. And if they come up with an opt-out for us, I'm sure they're going to offer that opt-out to anybody in the state of Missouri because we're going to make the farm you want for everybody. Now, this is just for state employees. It's just for state employees, right. But but prior to Obamacare, about 10% of the state employees used the opt-out. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm the only person in the state that did it. Yeah. yeah. Now, on, on the last topic that we're going to talk about, some one we didn't talk about in your last appearance, but something that came up this year or I think the year before is that you sponsored a bill to actually repeal the death penalty yes, in Missouri. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, some... Listeners that may not follow Missouri politics may be surprised that like a Republican is is doing that. But I've actually noticed that there is a contingent, a bipartisan contingent, and mainly it's Catholic Republicans, but not always, who are opposed to the death penalty and along with many Democrats. So I wanted you to just explain why you oppose the death penalty, why you put this bill forward, and kind of the debate that it started, because it did start a pretty reasonably sized debate right. in the Senate. Um, back in 1994, I ran as a pro-life Republican. And um, a guy in church said, what does that mean? I said, well, I'm against abortion. He goes, well, the death penalty. I said, I don't really care one way or the other on the death penalty. And he said, well, if you're pro-life, you got to be pro-life. Well, that planted the seed and got me thinking. Um, so then as time went on, my position kind of evolved. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to be consistent, if I'm going to be pro-life from the moment of conception until natural um, death, then I need to be against the death penalty. Because in our society, we can keep people away from people, from harming people. We don't have to put them to death. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, this just doesn't make sense. i got to be consistent. And then as I started looking more and more into the issue, I started looking at stuff like how we do the death penalty. Is it, is it fair? And I'm convinced that if Donald Trump's kid was uh, or accused of murder and my kid was accused of murder, I think mine has a better chance of getting the death penalty than his does because he's got more money, can hire more lawyers, file more appeals, which 
you know, you learn this stuff. And there's also like racial disparities. Too. Racial if disparities. If you're, if you're right. an African American man right. and you commit the same crime as a, a Caucasian man, I would right. imagine that there's been studies that the right. African American is more likely to And the to cost. The, you know, if you, I mean, I think um, you said some Republicans that are Catholic. I think some Republican fiscal hawks, more than the Catholic ones, are looking at it saying, wait a minute, how much are we spending on every loss or every case just to put somebody to death? We spend over a million dollars. That money could be spent on, on defending other. Other people. I mean, right now we have the crisis with the public defender's office, where the guy is wanting to have put cases to you know Governor Nixon. Well, why are why are we spending all this money on these death penalty cases that go on and on and on? And I don't believe it's a deterrent because you're talking sometimes 20 years after the fact before they finally put him to death. Okay, I'm 53 years old. If you told me, well, you know what, 20 years from now we're going to put you to death, I'm mad at somebody. I'm going to kill him anyway. I don't care. You know, I mean, it's it's not a deterrent anymore. So, I mean, it's not a deterrent. The way the state does it, I think, is just horrible and that we have a secretive process to go out and get a secretive drug. If if we were talking about um, getting the speed limit signs in the same process and manner that we get the execution drug, my Republican conservative friends would be jumping up and down on their desk hollering about how this is bad government. So, I mean, there are just so many things that are wrong with it. And, and the interesting thing to me is as you bring up the bill and you start talking, you have hearings and you listen to other legislators, there's almost like every single you person you talk to can say, and another reason is this, and another reason is that. So they're just overwhelming. I mean, that to me it just doesn't make sense. And more and more states are doing away with it. Well, too. why do you think that Missouri hasn't come to critical mass in the legislature where they can pass a bill like yours? They have done it, I think, in Nebraska where it is right. Republican. Um, they've obviously done it in more left of center states in the right, northeast yeah. and, and, and Illinois as well. Right. But it doesn't seem like there's a pathway for your bill to pass right now. Why do you think that is? I, I think part of it is in Nebraska. I think it was Nebraska or Oklahoma. One of the states I talked to a legislator um, up in Chicago at the National Conference of State Legislators, and we talked about how they how they did it. And how they did it was um, it was mainly there in their state. They had not put somebody to death in 20 years. And they said, let's look at this, this government program. This government program is obviously not working. It's failing. It's not doing what it's designed to do. And they were able to convince enough legislators that, you know, it's better off to do away with it because it's not working. Here in Missouri, I said, well, that won't work because it seems like every couple of months we're putting somebody to death. So it's, we are getting the end result here. So, I mean, I think that's slowing down the progress. I think it's just it's going to take time for people to change their hearts and minds and to hear the argument. First thing everybody thinks about is, you know, you're soft on crime, you know. One of the arguments I made on the Senate floor was this. I don't think I'm soft on crime. If you killed my wife and my children and you said to me, okay, here's the punishment. We're going to lay them down to a gurney and put a needle on his arm and let him go to sleep or we're going to let him rot in jail for 80 years. I'll tell you what, I don't want you to lay down and go to sleep. We all die. We, everybody leaves this world one way or the other. Some die in very gruesome, painful methods. Some people suffer with cancer for 10, 20 years. But we're going to take the most horrendous criminals in our society, and we're going to give them the easiest way out of this world. Mm -hmm. To me, that just doesn't make sense. Well, we, we'll I'm be, preaching now. I'm I, like, okay. I, I, <laughs> we we appreciate the passion here because this isn't. We have talked about this topic before. Our, our old host, uh, Chris McDaniel, obviously has focused on this quite a bit. So I'm sure that he'll be excited to hear this episode of the Politically <laughs> Speaking Podcast. But uh, thank you very much for coming in. We'll have to have you back soon. Sounds, sounds great. I appreciate uh, it. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. 
You can follow Joe on Twitter at J Manis. J Manis. J M A N N I E S. I forgot to say my own Twitter name, which is similar to how I forget to put my Twitter name in stories. It's J Rosenbaum. And you have a great Twitter handle, I believe. Wheelin' Now. Wheelin' Now. now and spell yeah. that. W-I-E-L-A-N-D-N-O-W. It's certainly better than like Wheelin' Later or Wheelin' Some Other Time. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We'll be back <laughs> We'll be back some other time. Until then, so long. <laughs>